Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms. And we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on AI Pro, podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Denny and joining me to give their reactions to the horror show that was Manchester City 4, Liverpool 1 in the Premier League at the Etihad Stadium are Dave Hendrick and Mo Chatra. Uh, just before the mics went live, Dave, I was um, saying to you that in a season of lows, this one is really uh, possibly the pick of the bunch for me. Um, another limp, insipid, uh, clueless showing, uh, specifically the second half. Uh, asking you the same question at the end of it. What is wrong? Uh, it's, 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 it's very, very difficult to be read at the, top, at the moment. It is. It's very, very difficult. And, um, you know, you look at some of the results this season and losing to Nottingham Forest, who were dreadful, was one. Losing to, at home to Leeds, a very bad Leeds team is another. Getting pumped by Brentford, pumped by Brighton, pumped by Wolves. They're all bad. But I had kind of had it in my head that Real Madrid at home was the low point because we went 2-0 up and then they proceeded to absolutely destroy us. For me, that was it. And we also remember got pumped away to Napoli this season. But Real Madrid at home had been the low point to me. But I think we have managed to crawl underneath that today. Yeah. Um, I think in the first half, we were fairly comprehensively outplayed, but we got a full sense of security because we scored first and because we did have a couple of dangerous attacking moments. And I think we thought we were more in the game than we actually were. I think that's very astute, Dave, because uh, people, I, I was watching the game with uh, my pal, who's a 
raving City fan. Uh, we just he he was over and we just we were, we were watching the game together and we've never done that before. I, mean, well, I assume he's now standing out in the garden, having been removed <laughs> from your home at some point in that second half. I, I got I got the security detail to remove him. Yeah, I mean, it, it obviously you know. It, it was it was quite fraught, uh, but but the the point is he was trying to say you know it was a tough first half and I was saying you're talking shit lad it wasn't a tough first half no. look at the chances now I was watching it on BT Sport and they did uh, some sort of version of football analysis where they showed the two goals and that was it but there was chance after chance for City yeah. in the first half yeah so I think playing I, through I, us with incredible ease that's the point and I think I I don't think it should get lost uh, that you know it was a game of two halves no bollocks. Uh, we no. just happened to keep them at bay, bar that one time we didn't in the first half. And that's all there was to it. Yeah, and the thing is, this performance sums up much of the season, the, the lack of desire from our team. I, I tweeted about halfway through that second half, their lads just want this far more than our lads. Yep. Because we can say they're a better team than us this season, they should beat us. And that's true, and that's fine. But this is the worst team City have had under Pep since his first season there. This is the worst version of his team. And I would say by a considerable margin. I would say they're 17-18, 18-19, and the team of the last two years would wipe the floor with this team. I don't think they're particularly good. And yet we were so horrendous that it felt like if they had wanted to turn the heat up on us, after they went 3-1 up, it felt like that could get out of hand and it could have ended 5 or 6 or 7. Yeah. Because they were toying with us, Trev. With 25 minutes to go, they were toying with us. And Jürgen is stood on the sideline looking completely fucking clueless as he has most of the season. And then he makes those changes. And if someone can explain to me the logic behind taking off Salah when it's 3-1... And you're only one goal away from getting back into that game and potentially having a chance to get a point. If someone can explain the logic in that, I'd love to hear it. If someone can explain the logic in bringing on James Milner to run around very fucking slowly for the last 10 minutes, not get anywhere close to the ball, rather than giving Arthur 10 minutes and saying, look, go ahead and get get some minutes in your legs because we're going to need you in the coming weeks. Because that central midfield that played today, Fabinho, to his credit, held us together with sticky tape and fucking glue in the first half, throwing himself around. Now, he had an awful first 10 minutes. After that, he was throwing himself in front of everything, breaking up play. The fella next to him, that is a disgraceful performance. An absolutely disgraceful performance. And he wasn't alone. Neither centre-back covered themselves in glory. The two full-backs were poor. I didn't think Jota or Gakpo played particularly well. They had a couple of good moments. But how you're not looking at Arthur and saying, look, we, we need to figure out if this lad can play or not. Because with Thiago out and now Naby out, we need somebody in midfield who can actually, you know, do midfield things. It's so, so difficult. There are so many questions, Mo, that I find myself at a loss to even know where to start. But I just want to bring you in on something here. Um, yesterday evening, I did um, AIP with Cam and Lisa Marie. And 
I found myself getting very angry a couple of times in the show. I went a couple of atypical sort of rants. And Cam was pushing back a bit, saying, you know, we got to be positive. We got to stand behind this lot. That's when we, they need us most and all that kind of stuff. And it was, I found myself sort of bristling a little bit at, at the concept because I'm so annoyed. Uh, I, I, that's basically what comes down to. I'm so annoyed. I'm annoyed at trophies left. Uh, on the ground behind us. I'm annoyed at opportunities wasted. I'm annoyed at lack of investment. I'm annoyed at attitudinal disgrace that we're seeing um, on a constant basis. I'm annoyed at underperformance. And I find myself, you know, we were talking about what's left, what could possibly be attained in the season. And I, I, it, this, this is very atypical for me. Like I say, I like to be optimistic and see the, the best in, 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 in everything. But the concept more of us, having enough about us to get into the Champions League places, it's quite laughable when you look at the league table. It, it makes no sense to me. And you look at our fixtures coming up. If if we perform in any way like we did today, it's just not going to happen. I think people are in denial, are they? Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well... Over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, well, unfortunately, Trevor, that's um, a lot of our fan base at the moment. That uh, you know, they, they still, despite all the overwhelming evidence, will look at what's going on and think, you know, two or three changes in the summer and we're all good to go next season. It's just a blip. Um, you know, these are the p- people that are burying their heads firmly in the sand. These are the people that will read an article, which was an absolute load of tosh by James Pierce in the athletic the other day, where it was supposed to be about, um, what are we going to do to turn things around? And instead it was focusing purely on the FSG out crowd. Um, even though it was labeled as something completely different. You know, we're we're at that point now where we're looking at what's going on with this club and we're almost becoming numb, desensitized, apathetic to the whole thing. I sat there watching the game today, not getting angry, not really getting no range of emotion. Even when we scored and went one it one nil up, um, barely a glimmer of excitement. Uh, it, it was just thinking, okay, we've scored against a run of play. But City will just ramp it up a gear. They'll come back into the game and they'll probably go ahead at some point. So I wasn't expecting much. And and when this club that has had such enormous success over the last few years, that has been amongst the elites, has turned into this absolute shambles, then you have to look at the manager. You have to look at the kind of cause um, behind all of what's going on this season um, and causes and how much of that ultimately goes back to Jurgen Klopp. And I was sitting there thinking, okay, no matter where we finish this, we all want this club to ensure that we come back next season. 
And I'm sitting there thinking, well, what on earth is there to give me that glimmer of hope? So if, if you're listening to this thinking, right, let, let's get some balanced, positive perspective, perhaps from Mo, you're not going to get it because I'm looking <laughs> at this manager and I'm thinking, right, there's some real big red flags here. There's this continued insistence on trying to play Harvey Elliott as a midfielder when it doesn't work. And I thought he was unbelievably embarrassing today. And I don't like to say that might about 19 year old kid, but he was completely out of his depth and it's not his fault. You know, he's being played out of position and, you know, he has his limitations and it's there for the world to see, but you know, he's not being done any favors by his manager. Then you're hearing about things like, Jimmy Milner being offered a contract extension, which again, we all know that will be Jürgen Klopp behind that. And again, massive red flag. So even if we do manage to get Jude Bellingham in over the summer, I think what will probably end up happening is that we'll see his captain still being played regularly when he's fit. And so what really changes? We're going to see, and it's not just about Jordan Henderson. It'll be other players as well. It'll be, Robertson, it will be uh, one or two others as well on top who are in decline. You know, this is a squad and Davis talked about it on a number of occasions over the last several months that is in need of a major overhaul. And yet it's not just our fans. I think it's the manager himself who thinks it's just a blip of a season. He'll blame it on injuries, even though some of his backroom personnel have been a key contributor to that. And then he'll think, right, two, three signings in the summer, and we'll be back to uh, challenging for the league again. And if, if that's what you think, if you agree with the manager, then I think you'll be in for a rude awakening going into next season. It's it's interesting you go there because one, the thing that drove my ire yesterday evening on the podcast was seeing a tweet about the, summarizing a Chris Bascom article. And it just felt like expectation management. It felt mm. a little bit like... Uh, all kind of the, the the less than subtle fucking PR that our lot do, which is you know feeding a couple of journalists uh, uh, things to uh, put out into the public so that they sort of desensitize us a little bit or get us used to a certain concept. And when you're reading, you know that Bascom's put out an article where Liverpool believe that it's a te- to use most phrase a temporary blip. And that, you know, if we can only have an, a, a smart recruitment and better injury luck, then we'll be fine and we'll be challenging for the title next year. I hear that, Dave, and I just I want to just go and absolutely slap someone around the head because that is utter nonsense. You know, if we can just get some better injury luck, Dave, um, we can and, and, and do some smart recruitment. You know, smart. You know what smart mm. is, 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 is a euphemism for. And if we can just, you know, have, have a bit more luck, then we'll be OK. And it's, yeah. it's just it's, hard. It's, it's harsh. It's tripe. Let's let's consider the injury injured players this season. Uh, Tiago Alcantara has missed significant time. Tiago always misses significant time. We knew that before we bought him. He is an injury-prone player. And when you put him in a midfield with Fabinho, whose legs are gone, and Henderson, who offers absolutely nothing and is an embarrassment off the ball, and ask Tiago to be David fucking Batty, he is going to get injured. Nabi Keita, an injury-prone player. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, an injury-prone player. Ibu Kanate, an injury-prone player. We knew he was injury-prone when we bought him. Curtis Jones, 
an injury-prone player. Diogo Jota, an injury-prone player. So the only one who's had a significant absence this season that wasn't an injury-prone player beforehand was Luis Diaz, who was on the brink of getting back and they overworked him and he got hurt even worse than he had been the first time and he had to go and get surgery. And rather than missing two months, he's ended up missing six months. So I'm not having it. It's bullshit. Add to that the fact that Naby, Ox, Curtis have all been fit for ages and he won't use them. He won't even look at them. Won't even look at them. Ox comes on today. Ox looked surprised he was coming on today. Yeah. He brought him on. Was it against Real Madrid? or No, it was against Bournemouth he brought him on. The fella hadn't been seen in months. In months. He played, I think, five minutes in the previous two or three months. So I don't accept that those three players being injured upset Jürgen's plan because he won't play them anyway. These are excuses and they're bad excuses. You knew the squad you had prior to the start of the season. And we've been saying for years that with that midfield group, Fabinho has generally picked up an injury every month, every season. Last season when he didn't, he got run into the ground. Henderson is injury prone. Thiago's injury prone. Naby's injury prone. Ox is injury prone. Curtis is injury prone. And Milner, over the last three or four years, has picked up quite a few niggly little injuries that keep him out for a week or two here and there. It's like 12 injuries in the last four years for Milner. They're always only a couple of weeks, but they still add up. So the idea that nobody could have foreseen these injury issues is bullshit. The problem with wanting to do smart recruitment, Jürgen, is that the two smartest people at the club with regards to recruitment were Michael Edwards and Ian Graham. And both of them either have left or are leaving. And you were a key contributor to their departures. Ian Graham is leaving because he feels like he's no longer being listened to. That was reported by multiple, multiple reliable journalists. And Michael Edwards left for similar reasons. So you can talk about smart recruitment, but you don't act very smart in how you treat other people at the, at the club. I think this manager looks completely out of ideas. And I think he is managing expectations now to get it to where fourth place is a trophy. You know that old line from Wenger when it yeah. became clear that Wenger had run out of ideas at Arsenal and that he was no longer able to compete at the elite level? This is what Jürgen reminds me of right now. That same bemused, baffled look on the, on the sideline, the same bizarre tactics week after week that don't work and haven't worked. As Simon Brundish pointed out this season, or today, how many games this season have we won based on tactics? Not where we've blown teams away, but based on actual tactics. I would say City at home, where we went with that deep block of four, and Spurs away where we played a diamond and we got 2-0 up because they weren't expecting us to play that way. And I would say that's it. I would say that's it. You could maybe argue a couple in the Champions League, and that's fine. But in the Premier League, after 27 games, I think Jürgen has gotten his tactics spot on and won us games twice. 
other times we've gone out, we've blown teams away, or we've managed to sneak a win through an individual bit of brilliance. But I think he's had an abysmal season. And I think at any other club, his job would be under serious pressure. Now, he's probably bulletproof at Liverpool because the owners won't sack him. And the too many of the fan base are just in awe of him, which is always a weird thing. But there's too much blind faith in him. Look, he's a great manager, a great manager. But he is largely to blame for this season's failures because he has refused repeatedly to move on players that are no longer good enough. And we're seeing it happen again. Bobby has been garbage this season. I know he had a couple of good games in the first half of the year, but he has been largely garbage. And him deciding to leave was his decision. Jürgen tried to convince him to sign a new contract. He's been finished for two or three years, and Jürgen wanted to keep him. Milner has been finished for about four years. He should have left in 2020. He's still fucking here. And Jürgen is the one pushing to give him a new contract. Why? What is it that he does? I don't want to hear about setting standards on the training ground because that's bullshit. You're telling me that Thiago Alcantara can't set standards on the training ground? Guy was at Barcelona under Pep. Played for Bayern Munich for the best part of a decade. Won title after title after title at clubs with much higher standards than ours. You're telling me he doesn't know how to train? You're telling me Mo Salah, who might be in the best physical condition of any player on the planet, can't set standards? You're telling me James Milner sets the standards? The guy who, by the way, has never been a starter in a team that's won anything, has never started a final and won. He is 0-5. 0-5 in finals that he has started in his career. He is a bench warmer. He has been a bench warmer for over a decade. You're telling me that this guy is vital and that without him it all falls apart? Why is this happening? We're eight years into Klopp's tenure. Milner wasn't good enough to start in year three. And he's still here taking up minutes from young players and wages that could go on players that actually offer something. If you want him around, make him a coach. Tell him his career is over. The same thing goes for Firmino. The same thing goes for Henderson. We've got two more years of this shit on 200 grand a week. And it's all because of Klopp. Those are valuable resources being wasted on somebody who's a negative impact player, who's completely to blame for what's gone on this season because he has been atrocious all season. Him, Virgil, Trent, Robbo, Matip, Fabinho, they've all been appalling. None of them, none of them should be above getting pulled. None of them should be above having a look and thinking, what do you reckon we could get for them in the transfer market this summer? Because that's how fucking bad this is. The only thing Jürgen can do is take a chainsaw to the squad. And you know, you mentioned, and I'll finish on this, you mentioned managing expectations, Trev. And the this started, the managing expectations bullshit started in September, October, when the phrase season of transition was put out into the ether. Yep. 
Nobody was talking about a season of transition in pre-season. Nobody. They were talking about how we were going to go and win the league and win the Champions League, and this team had everything you could possibly need. Sure, look, weren't they only two games away from winning the lot last season? Then season of transition popped up, and now it's the buzz phrase for all the sycophants who refuse to, to criticise Jürgen, criticise the club, criticise the players. A, a transition is something that you plan for. A transition is something that has an end point. There is no end point with this. This is a decline. This is a season of failure. Next season, maybe that's the season of transition. But because Jürgen doesn't have the cojones to cut bait with most of this squad and start to turn it over, we're going to be looking at two or three seasons of transition after this one, wasting the prime years of Mo Salah, of Virgil van Dijk, of Alison Becker, of Thiago. It would, if, if I was advising Alison, I'd be telling him, maybe have your agent ask around and see if anyone will pay the money because you deserve far better than this. I'd be saying the same to Mo because you don't want to be part of this. And if they think that putting Jude Bellingham into this mess fixes the problem, they're deluded. And the problem will be that if we sign Jude and one other midfielder, when we need four, people will say, oh, well, how can you criticize? They spent 100 million on Bellingham. They did everything they could. No, that's the bare minimum. At this point, it's the bare minimum. And the bare minimum is what we've done for the last four years and what's got us in this mess. We went from being the best team in the world in 2019 to a catastrophic yeah. mess. Now. Yeah, whatever this is, whatever we're seeing now, is that, that, that falling off is spectacular. And, you know, the day out with me mates, merchants, um, the just just enjoy uh, the the don't be entitled crew i mean i i'm i'm assuming our listeners are far too discerning to be amongst that crowd but i mean nobody likes a bit of positivity and upbeat stuff more than i do but that's just that's just such shit it's it it be, because it flies in the face of what we should be experiencing as a group and Mo, to bring you in on this if you look at the Liverpool lineup today, just to put a little bit of kind of traditional shape on it, and you alluded to it in your opening comments, you see our back five, and that unit should be theoretically our best unit. It could actually be the best unit in the uh, in the league, if not on the continent. But as you said, Mo, then we start to have some issues. Because we look at the midfield and it's the constant chat. We went today with Henderson, Fabinho and Elliot. Uh, we then look ahead of that and you've got Gakpo, Salah and Jota and everybody's wincing because we thought we might get to see Darwin and he's not in. My point yesterday, Mo, was the, the players who have been on the field should be doing far better than they are doing. What did you think when you saw that lineup going in against City? Was there anything that was shouting at you? Like, I, I know you've already mentioned the Harvey Elliott thing, and I agree. But tell me realistically what would have, what, what he, what he could have done differently there when you look at the bench, if, if that's your point. And if there's anything else you want to say about the Liverpool lineup, please do. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I did expect him to name that lineup, um, so it wasn't a major surprise um, when it was announced. Um, I think that the issue is, though, that we have a player in Elliot, and I'm not going to label the fact um, who has been played out of position, and what you know, a really strong manager and strong um, coaches around him would have pointed out by now. You know, 27, 28 games into the season is look, it's not working. There hasn't been that development. There hasn't been that growth. Yes, he's only 19, but come on, you know, we've got to try something a bit different here. Um, and yet, um, you know, he went back to the same simple setup, which has come unstuck against, um, you know, numerous opponents this season. And, you know, again, it was no surprise that Elliot really struggled. Um, Henderson is Henderson and you know again you know he's been discussed to death but um, it, it was it was really more about uh, the fact that it was a psychological thing I think where right at the start of this season I tweeted something about how you know investing in bringing you know new blood into a dressing room can have an uplifting uplifting effect but by the same token on the flip side not doing so can have a demoralizing effect. And I think we are now six months on, seven months on from the effects of that, where, you know, there were players in that dressing room who came so close to winning everything, um, you know, just short of a year ago, who were thinking, right, you know, we want to go again, but we can see around us. We know who can contribute in this dressing room and who can't. And they they will know better than any of us, any of us fans, uh, because they will see each other day in, day out. And, you know, I think even some of these players that are on, you know, on the downside who are past their peak will be able to admit, yes, you know, I'm not the player I was two, three years ago. And so then when you look at your, you know, your Van Dykes, your Canates, your Trents, and then they see that the club, the manager, the owners are not doing that squad justice by bringing the the blood in that is required to allow the squad to go again i think that does have that negative effect on their on their psyche and i think that that then just perpetuates itself um with initial poor performances and it has that snowball effect and you know we've had these breaks you know we had that you know um kind of Mid, you know, with the World Cup break, the players going off to Dubai and them thinking, okay, right, we've had a good time to refresh ourselves. Most of us didn't go away, so let's go again. And yet, you know, they came back from that break and they were even worse. Yeah, um, well, you only like what six players or seven players at the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you, you know, wonder what went on. Back, really. Yeah, and like the other thing as well, Mo, is not not bringing players in as well as having a demoralizing effect. And we've seen Virgil and Ebu and a couple of others talk about the need for fresh blood. It also makes players get really, really comfortable because they know they're in the team regardless. Like Andy Robertson has been poor all season, wasn't great last season, but he knows he's in the team every single week because no matter what Costas does, as soon as Robbo's fit, he's back in. Henderson's been awful for the last two seasons and wasn't good the season before. But if he's fit, he's in the team. So where's the motivation for these players? Virgil, like Virgil has been poor this season, but he knows he's in the team every single week. 
Trent the same. Trent's been left out a couple of times, but, you know, for rest. And we hear that during the, the break, the international break just gone, Trent was offered a week off. For what? The fuck does he need a week off for? Oh, he hasn't got a hands turn all season. And Get your the, ass in the training ground and work. But the fawning comments about, isn't he a great lad? He came into training. He didn't yeah. have to. Man does <laughs> job Christ. that he gets highly paid for. Let's give him a yeah. round of applause. And, and that, that's why I go back again to the start of the season where, you know, Trent at that point, you know, given four great seasons to the club. And despite that, you know, he racked up a huge amount of minutes. So if nothing else, even if we're not saying, okay, he's about to hit a bad run of form, because nobody would have expected it to be this bad. At the very least, you could have said, right, you know, he's played an amazing amount of minutes the last four seasons. So let's bring in somebody who we can rotate him with, even if he is still the first choice. And yet instead, uh, as is uh, is usually the way with these owners, we went complete bargain basement in our approach and went to Aberdeen, signed a player that has turned out to be a complete nightmare in terms of his injuries. He's been out virtually the entirety of the season. season. And that's um, another one, like, he, this yeah. is the thing, though. Would he have played if he was fit? Highly no. unlikely. No, the, 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 Mo's point is fantastic. It's a really important point. The best thing you could have done, the kindest thing you could have done for Trent Alexander-Arnold on the back of his outrageous contribution for the club was to sign a rival, a yeah. proper rival. It would yeah. have also been the best way to manage the player. Uh, you know, it, 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 as, as well as actually ironically being a kind gesture to him, it would also have been the best way to manage the player in the squad. And it, it's, it's, I'm, I'm glad, Molly, you highlighted that one because it's kind of indicative of the overall malaise and mismanagement that has afflicted the club right there in a little microcosm. But the thing as well is, right, so, the, so with, with Ramsey out, Milner's been the backup right back. Now, he, he played well there against City. Earlier in the season, him and Elliot did a good job blocking off that side. But that's literally it. That's the only good performance he's had at right back all season. But do you not think that Trent looks at Milner and thinks, well, hang on a sec, you're shit at right back. You're a midfielder. You're not a good right back. Mm. Like Trent knows what a good right back looks like because he's been the best right back in the world for the last three or four years. So, if he's getting taken off for Milner, that's not helping him. That's almost insulting him. Exactly. We don't think you can do the job, so we're going to stick this fossil into your position. Players know how good other players are, and regardless of what they say in the press, because none of them are going to speak negatively about their teammates. Players know who can and can't play. And there's no way that the great players in this squad, your Virgils, your Moes, your Allisons, your Trents, haven't looked at the situation over the last couple of years and thought, why is it that when we win, we don't get the praise, but when we lose, it's our fault? Why is it that lesser players and a fellow who doesn't start get all the praise but when we lose, it's all our fault and they don't get mentioned. Like when we win, it's all about leadership and standards, setting the tone. Where's the fucking tone? Where's the leadership and the standards when performances like that are happening? We used to hear that those performances never happen when Henderson's in the team. 
But there he was today. He was there against Real Madrid. But it doesn't get mentioned. Never gets mentioned. Didn't get mentioned prior to Virgil's arrival either, by the way. The, the leadership stuff only really became a thing after Virgil arrived and transformed the team. And then all of a sudden it was down to leadership and standards. Not the world-class players that arrived, you understand. If none of them had come, we still would have had the same success because of leadership and standards. So Virgil and Ali and all the rest might as well have stayed where they were. But now that we're losing, it's all their fault. Now, Virgil has obviously contributed to this season's mess with a lot of poor performances. Ali has been, to be truthful, the only Liverpool player who can hold his head up high based on this season. Even today, he makes a couple of really good interventions. There's nothing he can do about the goals. His defence and midfield were a shambles. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. He's the only one of the lads who are nominally in the in the conversation um, about being the best in the world in their position, mm. who currently still is. That's the fact. Yeah. All of the rest of them have tailed off so badly. And I'm glad you mentioned Virgil because we're going to have to talk about that lad today. He was he was struggling a bit. The city lineup for the record uh, was Ederson, obviously in goal, Akanji, Diaz, and Aki, John Stones and Rodri, and then Mares, De Bruyne, Gundogan, Grealish, and Alvarez. And honestly. Um, when you have a chance to play City without the monstrosity goal machine that is Haaland and without um, the uh, haircut that is Phil Foden, a, a wonderful footballer, uh, you have... And Bernardo um, sitting on the bench. Who's and Bernardo sitting on the bench. Who's, who's, who's been a nightmare player for yeah. us. Um, you have an opportunity to go at that team. That team, I, I agree with you, with you, what you're saying there, Dave, is not as good as what they have been in previous iterations. And th- if, if we were properly motivated to get this uh, fourth place trophy, uh, then we should have had a lot of optimism going into this. And there will be reflections. I know it. I, can, I guarantee you can read the match reports tomorrow about a game of two halves. And it is bollocks. And we'll... We'll test the the truth of that now by going through the details. Quick word for Simon Hooper, the referee today, who looks like a lad you'd see on uh, the dog and duck uh, doing a bouncer uh, on uh, any given night of the week, but has proved himself in that game, I think, to be just another one of these soft as shite referee types. Mm -hmm. His indulgence uh, when it came to cards. And it, by the way, the most gratuitous part about it was towards Liverpool. He, Fab should have had a yellow card. Trent should have had about three yellow cards. Fab should have had about two or three yellow Gakbo cards. Gakpo should have been booked for the dive. Gakpo should have been booked for the dive. That, by the way, I, I 
also one of my highlights of the game. God bless him for it. He, I, I got tremendous entertainment out of that. It was actually, it was really, it was beautifully done. Um, some quality cheating there by Cody. The only possibly good thing he did, apart from hold the ball up that one time. Um, yeah. So, so it, it, let, let's let's test the the, the truth of this. Uh, Mo, by looking at the first half, and we'll take it up as far as the equalising goal because there's a chunk here, um, and we'll just have a look and see what you make of it. Uh, there was an opportunity really early on, I think, where Mo sort of blocked down an Ederson um, uh, kick out, and I was just out of the room briefly, and I could hear my mate Al in the horrors, um, and I thought. To be fair to us, the press was really good in the opening uh, goings and probably for the first half of the first half was a really notable feature. But the first chance really is De Bruyne, who has a left footer into Gundogan. Uh, His volley is well saved by Ali. Then there's another chance, a Rodri snapshot in 10 minutes. Ali's well positioned to save it. And then there's a Mares free kick, which is just narrowly wide. It's a good dig. So this immediately gives the lie to this game of two halves thing. And against the run of play entirely, we score through Mo Salah. I couldn't even enjoy it because I was absolutely convinced it was going to be given offside. There's some decent hold-up play by Jota, you could say, or you could say it was shit. I'm, I'm still not sure whether it was good or bad. All I know is that City should have done far better to get to that ball. It seemed to take an age for anyone to react to it. The only one who did was very bright Mo Salah, who charged onto the ball, hit it first time. Beautiful goal, finishing it inside the post. We have a toehold. On 21 minutes, uh, Grealish puts in a really good pass. uh, De Bruyne uh, with a dangerous ball in uh, 21 minutes Mares blasts a volley narrowly over the top again look at this I mean it's just all City right it's all City chances and then again they go level through Alvarez on 27 minutes Mares plays into Gundogan who plays it onto Grealish and then there's a central finish uh, for Alvarez in the build up to that I think we need to have a look at um, what Virgil's doing and it's not necessarily we need to start earlier than that, Trev. Well, yeah, but but we need to start earlier than that because the whole thing comes from one player not doing their job, which is the catalyst for most of the goals that we concede this season. Why does Virgil have to go to Mares? Virgil has to step to Mares and lead him across. But why does Virgil have to step out? Because Andy Robertson has run off Mares to go and make a tackle on De Bruyne. But why does Andy Robertson have to run off Mares to go and make a tackle on De Bruyne? Why does he have to do that? Because somebody has lost Kevin De Bruyne. How do you lose your man like that? He's the best player on the pitch. We're going to have ample chance uh, to talk about that lad as well. My only point here uh, in, 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 in mentioning it was... There was a sort of a jogging thing going on that I, 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 it's, it wasn't the, the, the casual brilliance that we've seen from Virgil in the past. It was something different. It felt different to me. Mo, to talk to you about that first chunk of the match, the one all up to, up as far as one all, it is fair to say that, you know, our goal was against the run of play. And it is fair to say that one all was probably the least they deserved on the balance of play. But it's also fair to say our press was decent. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, I think 
it was int- an int- interesting start in that uh, it seemed like Jürgen almost was happy for us to sit back a little and uh, invite them on and uh, hope to perhaps counter them. And, uh, you know, that that's effectively how, how our opening goal um, arose. I think that, um, you know, City were a little bit wasteful as well. I mean, though they were fashioning some good chances, um, they didn't make Alisson pull out any massive saves in that early going as such. And so I thought that, um, you know, that they were perhaps a, a little bit off in terms of the, the finishing side of things and, you know, that, that final pass or maybe a clean connection with the ball um, in, in the box. And, you know, had that been a little bit better, they perhaps could have been a couple of goals up before, um, you know, Salah scored. But, uh, yeah, it was it was disappointing in a way, in a sense as well, that, um, you know, when we did manage to get the ball, um, City were so well drilled, you know, their, their positional play was really strong, I felt. And, uh, you know, they weren't really giving us much chance in that they had us pinned back and we, we were seeing a lot of the ball being passed around the back. And, um, you know, we then see, you know, whether it was Virgil or Robbo, um, eventually hoofing or hitting, hoping and, uh, you know, it eventually would, uh, return back to City's possession. So that, that was disappointing to see. But the goal itself from Salah uh, was a sublime finish and, uh, you know, nice from Trent as well. You know, let's not forget, you know, he uh, um, delivered a really exquisite pass upfield. And, um, you know, I was hoping that Jota would have then made something of it and rebuilt a bit of confidence by actually putting it away. Um, but, you know, he's still nowhere near the player that, you know, we saw him, you know, pre-injuries. And, uh, you know, obviously Mo then tied it up and put us ahead. But again, like I mentioned earlier on, I wasn't confident that, you know, it'd lead to anything by way of a victory. I just thought City would just ramp up the pressure. And sure enough, um, that led to their equaliser. I, I thought, you know, and Davis already touched upon, um, you know, perhaps the root cause of how that arose in the first place. And I'm sure we'll come back onto that. But, uh, yeah, it was the least of what they deserved. I thought that, um, you know, that they were, you know, clearly, you know, they're, they're a team that are, you know, vying for the title and anything less than a victory today um, would, would have been a significant blow to their title hopes. Even though, I mean, if any team can close that kind of gap, it's them. But nonetheless, had they even dropped uh, two points and ended up with a draw today, um, that would have given a big advantage to Arsenal and really boosted Arsenal's confidence and their confidence is already sky high. So, you know, of the two teams, they clearly demonstrate that they wanted to win here. But uh, that that was, you know, something that was disappointing to see from us. Um, but yeah, I mean, even, even with the likes of Robertson um, in that first half, uh, you know, half an hour or so, I was so disappointed. I, I thought that, uh, you know, so, some of his play was just completely brainless. And... Um, you know, it was also disappointing as well, um, just prior to the equaliser, because, you know, Mo, you know, and this is where sometimes it can be fine margins. Had he had a better touch? When oh, was, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, my word, I, th- I think he would have stood a really good chance putting us 2 0 up. And, yeah. you know, it didn't happen. He got a bit of a heavy touch, gave Grealish a chance to kind of uh, close in on him and, you know, make that vital interception. And had that not happened, if we'd gone 2-0 up, you never know. Maybe that would have 
given us a bit more confidence and dented theirs. But uh, that was surely a sliding doors moment in that game. I think so. That's a that's a great spot, and I left it out of my notes. Uh, I, I remember it clearly. Uh, the, the 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 first touch from Mo was atypically bad, and it got away from. I think it was Jota inside inside with a, a, a pretty open goal. If he had managed to do it right and get the pass right, um, the first touch would have would have helped that. Dave, in terms of what happens uh, in the remainder of that half, there is a, a moment where Alvarez nearly gets in. There's a very good block block by um uh, by fab on a gundogan low effort that probably was headed goalwards um but i want to give you a chance to pick out whatever you want to chat about in terms of either the concession of the goal and uh, i know you've already sort of mostly done that uh, our own goal or just your general feeling on how that, that first half went um as we said earlier look we, we weren't good in the first half we had a couple of dangerous moments but we were we were comprehensively outplayed and not to, not to, well, yeah, kind of picking them. Henderson didn't touch the, didn't touch the ball for eight and a half minutes at the start of that game, Trev, which isn't a point at him. It's a point that that's how much control they had. One of our central midfielders did not touch the ball for the first eight and a half minutes of the game. Yeah. Because they had all the possession. Do you feel that it's almost in the category now of what Mo was saying earlier on about Harvey? That at this stage it's steadily like it's not that lad's fault. He just keeps getting selected. Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's on, it's on Klopp. Yeah. Like, look, yeah. the player still needs to do better when he's on the pitch. Oh, oh, yeah, I agree. And he needs to. Yeah. He need the, the bigger issue for me with Henderson because he's never been a good player as in terms of technical ability. The issue for me is the lack of effort. That's the issue. The lack of willingness to track runners. So he loses De Bruyne for the first. In the first instance, and that then sets off a chain of events where everybody has to do somebody else's job because he didn't do his. And then he tracks back, or he, he kind of jogs back as Mares plays the ball wide. Now, it was pointed out at half time by Ian Wright, Michael Owen, and Sean Wright Phillips on the Optus Sport uh, feed that I watched from Australia because I quite, quite like the analysis that Ian Wright gives. And Harvey doesn't do enough to get back and help Trent. So Trent is left 2v1. And I saw a lot of idiots try and blame Trent for this goal. Oh, no, you can't. That's Trent that. had to come inside because yeah. because Virgil had to step out. Ibu has to come across. Trent has to come across. Harvey then needs to bust his arse to get out to Grealish and doesn't bother. When Trent goes back across, Ibu then has to go back across. Now, Henderson has jogged back. And he's deeper than Virgil. And he can see everything happening because he's looking at the whole picture. And he eases off. And this is the problem. He eases off. And then he realizes there's danger and tries to get back in. If he doesn't ease off on that run, he gets to that ball ahead of Alvarez or gets goal side of Alvarez and able to make a tackle. But Mo pointed Harvey's just not a midfielder. He just is not a midfielder. And he's not going to be a midfielder because we don't play the way Man City play. He might be a midfielder for Pep. He's not going to be for us because that's just not how we play. And Jürgen's continued insistence on playing him there is doing nobody any favours. It's not helping him because he's not having a good season. It's not helping us because he's a liability. And 
when he's in there with the two he was in there today, his presence means Fabinho is having to do an awful lot of work. He's having to cover Harvey, then he's having to come back across and cover Henderson, and that is then leaving space in the middle. And City are just very, very good at moving the ball, moving it back, and taking advantage of the space that you've created by leaving a void. And the interest of fairness, uh, because, you know, I'm always sort of aware that, you know, you could pick a little snippet out of this show. I couldn't give a shit of people who actually saw them. But you could pick a little snippet out of this show, and it could seem as if we're sort of going off on myself or you or Mo. What about the concept that, because um, we've all mentioned it now, the three of us, what about the concept uh, of what Jurgen actually has available there to him in terms of selection for midfield today? Because you look at the bench, there's uh, there's there's Milner's there and, and, and Arthur's on the bench, isn't he? Um, and... Uh, Ox, I think, who are all nominally could have come in in that area, but that's the height of it. Is there anything to be said for Per Jurgen has very little to choose from? Um, that argument is that. Could, then that, change the shape. Yeah. Then change the shape. Like, there's no fatalism here. You're dealt the hand, you're dealt. The squad is what it is because of you. Like, I don't, was Curtis Jones injured today? There'd been no mention. Who knows? He doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. That's the thing. There'd been no mention of him being injured. So where's he? Why isn't he on the bench? Like, this idea that, well, that's all Jurgen has available, then change the shape. Then bring an extra center back in and go with a back three. You could have gone Canate, Virgil, and Gomez as a back three, push Trent and Robbo up as wing backs. And then Henderson and Fabinho with those two either side of them could be a compact midfield four. Well, what do you make of the conversation or the argument? Um, I've just seen it there. Was it Graham Kelly? I'm not sure. Someone, someone said the, basically the, uh, the sentiment was, and I think it'll be one shared by an awful lot of Liverpool fans who, who are, I think, like you said, maybe a little bit blinded by their, uh, hero worship of Jurgen. Um, the, the sentiment basically was that, you know, I feel sorry for Jurgen. I've been let down by the owners. Let yeah, down by the players. That, yeah. Yeah, yeah, let down by the owners and let down by the players. And, you know, to an extent, then, when you see that the I only options he has is James Milner and Arthur fucking Mello and, and, and a washed Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, yeah. there is some hefty uh, weight to that concept of... But why are you know, these players at the club, Trev? That, this is but where we go around. Jürgen is eight, yeah. If Jürgen was a year or two into this, I would take the argument that, well, he doesn't have great options. He's eight years at the club. There are four players, sorry, five players at the club that predate him. Trent, who was a kid in the academy. Gomez, who was 17 at the time. Henderson, Milner and Fabinho. Everybody else that's at the club, he brought to the club. And he's the one who retained them. He didn't have to. He didn't have to. He doesn't have to play them. Yeah. So... Like, he's the one that made the decisions that led to this. I saw another tweet um, that Graham replied to. Like, and I do agree with Graham. He has been let down by the owners. And the players are letting him down. But he's letting them down as well. So, I see this other tweet as well from a chap called Lawrence. If I was Klopp, I'd walk. His team have given up on him. That's not a... Like, that's not something to feel sorry for Klopp on. If the team have given up on him, you have to ask why. Now, I do think 
for a number of months, there has been big questions to ask over whether or not these players are still playing for him. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that Jürgen's the one that walks. Jürgen could sell the players. He could sit them down and tell them, listen, thanks for everything. You've been great, but it's over. You have no future here. Tell your agent to find you a new club. He could go to his backroom staff and say, look, we've had a great run, but I need to freshen things up and you guys need to go. Yeah. Because via via because, Dios, we'll see you later, you know, that kind of thing. That's, because this is the thing. Yeah. Pep and Linders, n- n- now I'm not blaming him, to be clear, I'm not blaming him, but Pep and Linders leads the coaching sessions at Liverpool. So the message from Klopp comes through Pep and Linders. He is a conduit for Jürgen's message to the players of how we want to play and how we want to work. And if the players are no longer listening to Pepin, then Pepin needs to be replaced. This was where Ferguson was brilliant, and this was why his players never tuned him out. Because they only heard from Ferguson when Ferguson felt they needed to hear from him. But he changed up his assistant every few years. Brian Kidd, Steve McLaren, he had Jim Smith at one point, he had Carlos Quiros, he had Rene Muhlenstein, he had Quiros again. He changed it up. He always made sure the players were getting a fresh message so they couldn't tune it out. And then they heard from him when he felt they needed to hear from him. And that's what Jürgen needs to do. He needs to change up how the message has been delivered and who's delivering the message to them. And he needs to change up who is receiving the message because it's very clear there are certain players that need to go. You look through that squad today, there are a number of players who are not good enough to play for a team with ambitions to win major titles. There are a number of players who are very clearly on the decline, not not having declined, on the decline, like Andy Robertson, who perhaps needs to be sent out the door in the summer, get some money in, replace them, freshen things up. The same with Joel Matip, the same maybe with Fabinho. You move them on, you replace them, you freshen things up. You're stuck with your captain because you gave him the contract, but you don't need to double down on that mistake by continuing to give contracts to players that can't contribute anymore. You move him into some sort of role where he's playing less and having less of an impact. And, you know, the likes of Harvey Elliott beating in midfield, like, Jürgen's used him there all season. So, so it's not like this is something that's just been forced on him. This is something he wants to do. He's the he only one who's played. Yeah, he's the only one who's played in every game. Every single game. You know, this is every this is, game. So, so at some stage, you, you, you know, it would be interesting to ask the question. Mo, to focus it back on the match for a second, and I, I, I stand over the fact. I think a previous iteration of Virgil. I'm not criticising him on the goals specifically. I'm saying a previous iteration of Virgil probably stops Mares. I, I, I honestly believe that. And he's kind of front and centre in the concession of the second goal as well. And I want to just talk to you about the start of this second half where the wheels came off so completely that it was difficult to watch. Um, because we start with a goal within a minute, Mo. Uh, it's De Bruyne. It is a great ball by Mares to release Alvarez over on the right. It's a really good pass. Uh, he centres it to De Bruyne and Virgil's trailing in his wake. Uh 
there are a couple of opportunities for us where we're offside for the sake of fairness and balance. I think Cody Gakpo has one. Trent puts a ball in both times. It's offside. Our token efforts at um, attacking for the whole second half. So let, let it not be said that we don't um, uh, acknowledge that we actually tried to score at one point. Um, but that's it. And the only other moment of potential for us is where Cody, uh, on the 59th minute, does a bit of outrageous uh, cheating uh, to stick his leg in and try and earn a penalty. Nothing else. Nothing more apart from that. Uh, there might have been, oh, sorry, there was a Gakpo shot in 54 minutes. And so that is the sole effort for the second half mm. uh, because the other, the other two were offside and, 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 and the, the penalty, um, the attempt to cheat and win a penalty came to nothing. So within, what is it? 53 minutes. I think it's when the set, the third goal goes in within eight minutes of the second half, we're three, one down. I, 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 the, the heads have gone so completely that Klopp then decides to throw on. No, he doesn't then decide. He waits another three. Uh, seven. He wait, waits another 14, 15 minutes before he brings on four substitutes, uh, including the decision to take off Mo Salah. I'm throwing a lot at you here, Mo, but like, I don't know if we have the countenance and wherewithal to sit through and talk minute by minute about how awful everything was. So I'm throwing a lot on the table here. The second goal, 51 minutes, is a Gundogan finish at the near post. Um, I think Ali had saved the first effort, uh, or saved, saved the cross shot. Sorry, the first effort is, 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 a, is a Gundogan effort uh, on 51 minutes. And then they go 3-1 up uh, on 53 minutes. It's, again, Gundogan. Mares drives in from the left. He passes to Alvarez. His shot is blocked, and then Gundogan finishes the rebound. I was I was confusing two incidents there. So on 53 minutes, the game is done. It's over. Uh, 3-1. Unless there's some hope of a breakaway goal um, from the best player that has played for the club in recent years. Uh, but our manager decides to take him off on 67 minutes uh, and bring on Bobby Simicus, Ox, and Darwin uh, at that point. Um, I, I, I honestly don't know what to say about it. They, they obviously wrap it up with a, a, a goal on, on, on 74 minutes. I think Trent does have to look at himself for that one. I'll spin back to Dave for that. But what did you make of that opening sequence of minutes in that second half, up as far as 53, which effectively ended the game as any kind of a contest? Uh, And and in terms of the aftermath, then, the entire lack of effort to, 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 to maybe mount an attack on their goal, God, it was difficult to watch more. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. (laughs) This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. 
you can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, Mac boxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. It was, and, you know, in a way, it almost reminded me of uh, United Anfield, um, where, you know, it was, the shoe was on the other foot. You know, we went up early in that second half. Um, oh, sorry, extended our lead, I should say. And, uh, you know, from there, um, their the heads just dropped. Um, and the only difference today was that, you know, we didn't, um, we weren't at the receiving and an absolute tonking um, in terms of scoreline, even though in terms of performance, um, I'd argue that, the, 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 the difference in quality, the gulf was was huge, bigger than it's been in a long, long time between these two teams. It was real men versus boy stuff. I mean, it was almost embarrassing to watch the extent to which uh, Grealish on the left, uh, on their left, and uh, Maris on their right were toying with um, Trent and Robbo and just absolutely tying them up in knots almost as if they weren't there at times and uh, you know on top of that what frightened me the most was the fact that you know I mean sure the passing was sublime at times from City but you know we were seeing runs from De Bruyne and Gundogan who were in their 30s um, and they, they were out sprinting our midfield they were getting in and amongst our back line um, and looking really ominous and you know these are players that are both past their prime these are players that never were the quickest um, Gundogan can't run yeah he's, he's sprinting past our players like they're not there exactly and you know what worries me is that you know we've got a couple of massive games coming up in the next few days against teams who have you know much, much uh, more to give in terms of pace. And I mean, sure, in terms of quality, um, Chelsea are not at City's level, uh, but they've certainly got the potential there and, and their tails are up. And then, you know, we're up against, um, in just over a week's time, an Arsenal team who have pace to burn, who have confidence at sky-high levels and who have uh, quality to boot. And if this is how we have played against City, albeit at the eighth had, um, it really worries me how we're going to perform um, in the two games coming up. And by the end of the, the two games, it's very easy to have suffered two further losses and we'll be completely out of the running for the top four. And I'd argue that we almost deserve to be out of the running for the top four because, you know, we, we have been poor for large stretches of this season. Had it not been for the goalkeeper, we wouldn't even have half a chance of making top four. We'd be further down the table by by quite some distance, and uh, yeah, that that whole second half performance um, was just absolutely um, mind-numbingly bad. And what really, really got to me was Jurgen Klopp's body language. Um, you know, I was looking to him and thinking, right, show me something, give us something. 
even tactically, even if it's not the body language, there was nothing, absolutely nothing. This was a group of players that were absolutely exuding a message of, we are not playing for this manager. And when you're at that stage, then it is really ominous. And, you know, like Dave touched on earlier, at other clubs, that that would be in itself very, very ominous for the manager himself, but not ours. And, uh, yeah, I really don't feel full of any kind of optimism about, forget this season, but even next season. See, that's the problem. That's the problem. You've alluded to it there. Dave's alluded to it. It's like, what's the fucking plan here? Does anyone believe we're going to get a fucking war chest and rebuild from the ground up? Nah. There's no, there's not going to be any major rebuild. There'll be a few signings and we'll go off with hope in our hearts and have a nice day out. I'm fucking sick of it. And by the way, I'll be back to you to finish the show, Mo. By the way, if that's Pep Guardiola celebrating in my fucking face as he was in the face of Simicus putting his hand out looking for a high five. Not the fucker. Headbutt him. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely clean the cunt out with a kick in the bollocks. I fucking hated that. And Arthur just shakes his hand. I don't mind. Arthur's on his way out the door. He's probably sick. He, he, doesn't probably, give a shit. he probably, he probably sees the name Liverpool and just has nightmares. But like, Jesus, if, the, if ever there was a moment where you just got, well, yeah, I suppose that just sums it right up. That's, yeah, just, that's the equivalent of of just condescendingly calling someone son. Yeah. You know, just son someone to death because they're not on your level. That's what Pep's done there. He's just decided, I'm going to take the piss out of these lads here because, I mean, if you're that bad that you can't get this team, like get yourself off to a different career. Trev, like, I know you, you, you're, you're trying to get through to the end, but, I mean, the, the two goals that we concede before this point, the second and third goals, they're an embarrassment. They're an absolute embarrassment. The lack well, of talk, energy. Talk, 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 us, talk us through all of it. Yeah, Talk us through all of it, whatever you, you want to do. And, and basically what I'm going to do is, and, and also just wrap up at the end, and I'll, then we'll finish with Mo, because, you know, there's lots to talk about there. I'm, I'm sure there's things you want to pick out on the, two, on the three goals in the second half. So whatever you want to pick out, do. Right, let's run through, right? So, so the, the first goal, 58 seconds into the second half, you would think that having performed the way they had in the first half, those lads would have got a rocket up their arse. And instead they came out and they were worse. They were, they were fucking horrendous. So on their second goal, just before the build-up to the second goal, Ederson has the ball. And Trent and Harvey are stood next to each other about 20 yards into their ball, into their half. And Trent directs Harvey Central and goes to press Aki. Now, why he's doing that, I have no earthly idea. But Jack Grealish is standing all by his lonesome about 30 yards behind Trent, and he's having a good game. So I assume it was some sort of tactical instruction. Fast forward about 15 seconds, <clears throat> the ball is played around. And again, Trent is pressing Nathan Aki. And it's a very simple ball that finds Grealish. Ibu has come across to play right back and Virgil is in the right side centre back role. Henderson is marking Kevin De Bruyne. KDB makes a run, clearly runs offside. Grealish doesn't play him the ball. The ball gets worked to the far side and De Bruyne hasn't stopped running. He is still herring towards our goal. 
as Riyad Mahrez picks the ball up on the other side, having timed his run well, having received the ball well, and having carried the ball well, KDB is having a good old jolly through an our goal. Virgil is, I don't, sprinting wouldn't be the full word for it, but he's, he's making some sort of effort to get back. But the fellow who was marking him is completely unaware that any of this has gone on. So that happens. Then seven minutes later, they score again. And we literally have a bunch of lads playing statue in our box. Do you know that Mark Goldbridge clip that went around where he just starts shouting pigeons, pigeons, pigeons? (laughs) That's basically what they were. They were like statues waiting for pigeons to shit on their head. Trent, to his credit, makes a block of Alvarez's first shot. It falls to Gundogan and he finishes very, very easily with no pressure on the ball. The fourth goal, I, there's just, there's no, there's no, um, way that this isn't just something Trent needs to be pulled on because now Ox, Ox is involved here as well. Gundigan has, has, or sorry, De Bruyne has drifted across from the right to the left, thus making him Alex Oxlade Chamberlain's responsibility. Grealish picks the ball up, runs at Trent, Gundigan overlaps and Trent doesn't know who to go with. He plays the ball to to KDB, continues on his run. Trent kind of half goes with De Bruyne and then kind of half doesn't. And Ox just stands looking, just stands staring at Jack Grealish's arse as he scuttles into the box, picks the ball up and finishes with no pressure on him. That is absolutely shocking. Now, the game as a contest, ended when we made our subs. Why it took them so long to make those subs, I don't know. But when you take off Sally, you're basically saying, look, we'll just, we'll take what we've got here, which is nothing, and we're saving our players for the next game. Now, again, it's 3-1. It's not 4-1, it's not 5-1, it's 3-1. If you get one goal, you're back in it, and you could get a draw. But Klopp gave up. And then the players entirely gave up. Yeah, that's what it was. It was a surrender flag. Those that substitution of taking Mo off. It's not like he's had far worse games. Yeah, but he scored. Yeah. And he's, he scored. Yeah, he's got eleven goals and five assists against Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. That's more goals and assists than any player ever has scored against the Guardiola team. That's how good Mo is. Yes, he should do better when he breaks down the down the left. He should find. Uh, Jota with the cross. It's a simple cross to make. Grealish gets a lot of credit, but in fairness, that's a just a bad cross by Mo. It's not that Grealish does anything brilliant other than sprint back. But credit to him for at least sprinting back because our lads wouldn't. Yeah. But the thing that really struck me on that is how fucking slow did Diogo Jota look? Oh, that, that lad like is... He really did look slow trying to get himself. I don't know that Mo could see properly as to where Jota was because there were two city defenders that yeah. overtook Jota on the way back. Yeah. Like, if that's Darwin, I think Mo just plays the first time and he's in and he's away. But, like, at the end of the game, we bring on Milner. They bring on Bernardo Silva. That's the difference between these teams. Bernardo Silva has mo- had more touches of the football between when he came on and the end of the game than Mo Salah did in his entire time on the pitch. 
because that's how much of the ball they had. Like they were all uh, laying us with they, ten or twelve minutes yeah, to go. They're playing with us. It was mortifying. It was. And, it was embarrassing. And and to be sitting there with a city fan like I was, and just like. Uh, you can have no pride in the performance. Like I say, you didn't even have the joy of 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 uh, someone doing something raucous, like it to like you'd like Simicus to have done the pep. There's not there's nothing to take from this. Yeah. And as you take us home your, with your final thought here and whatever plugs you have for the week, just if you wouldn't mind referring to what's left, because we have the reality of. 11 more raws. Yeah. Yeah, so, there's 11 more of these fucking things to do. So what What? What do you see? Right. Honestly, what Before do you see? I do that, right, th- just just to give people a little bit of context about how shit we've been this season, okay? Southampton are bottom of the league. Okay, they are bottom of the league with 23 points this season. 19 points behind us, which tells you how bad we are as well. Southampton's away record, four wins, a draw, nine defeats. That's 13 points away from home. Liverpool's away record, three wins, three draws, eight defeats. That's 12 points. 12 points. We've taken less points away from home than the team who are bottom of the league. Like, that is embarrassing. Temporary blip, isn't it? They've conceded 22 away from home. We've conceded 24 away from home. Like, that is absolutely pathetic <coughs> from this team. It's an embarrassment on the club. It's an embarrassment from the managers. It's an embarrassment from these team, this, this group of players. We go to Chelsea in the week. Now, as Mo said, they're not great at the moment, but there's a lot of talent in that squad. A lot of talent in that squad. Then we play Arsenal at home. Now, I actually think we'll beat Arsenal at home because we're at home. Then we go to Leeds. Then it's Forest at home. Both of those teams have beaten us already this season. Then we go to West Ham. Is anyone confident? As bad as they are. Then it's Spurs at home, Fulham at home, and Brentford at home. So in all likelihood, we probably take seven or nine points from those three games, and people will start to go, oh, look, we've turned it around, which is what happens anytime we string a couple of results together. Like, we beat United, and we were going to march our way to third. Forget fourth, we were marching our way to third when we beat United before losing to Bournemouth. Um, then it's away to Leicester, home to Villa, and away to Southampton. Trev, this is what gets me, right? You look at our results this season. We drew with Fulham. We drew with Palace. We drew with Everton. We drew with Palace again. For me, they're all bad results, okay? I would look at that and say those are bad results. I think the draws with Brighton... And with Chelsea, not great, obviously, but I'm not going to tag them as bad results. They're just disappointing. But those other three are bad results. Those are games we should be winning. A newly promoted team, a bad team, a really bad team, and another bad team. That's four games in which we've taken four points rather than 12. So we should have eight more points from those. 
Then you look at, we lost away to United. Now, fair enough, they're United, but they're shit. We still lost to them. We lost away to Arsenal. We got, I think we got robbed that day, but it, they're still Arsenal at the top of the league. That's fine. But then we lose to Forest. We lose to Leeds at home. We lose to Wolves and we lose to Bournemouth. I can accept losing to Brentford and Brighton because they're having good seasons. I can accept losing to City. I can't accept the performances. I can accept the results. But I can't accept results like losing to Forest, Leeds, Wolves and Bournemouth. I can't accept that. That's another 12 points we should have. They should be easy wins for us. That's 20 points we have just thrown away this season. If we had those 20 points right now, we'd be sitting on 62 points. That would have us third. We'd be two points behind City. We'd be 10 points behind Arsenal. But when you look at that running, you'd think, okay, draw against Chelsea, beat Arsenal at home, and then we can run that table. We can go to Leeds and beat them. We'll beat Forest at home. We can go to West Ham and beat them. Spurs, Fulham and Brentford will all fall at Anfield. We'll go to Leicester and win. We'll beat Villa at home. And on the last day of the season, we're going to beat Southampton. That's how this season should be playing out. We should be looking at an 11-game run in which we could legitimately win all 11 or win 10 and draw one. We should be looking at, you know, 33, 31 points from these games, getting us into those 90s, giving us a chance of winning the league. And instead, we're out of it. We've no chance at winning the league. We've no chance of a top three finish. And our chances of a top four finish are now diminished. We're seven points behind Spurs, though we do have a game in hand. We are five points behind fifth place Newcastle, who have a game in hand on us. And as of right now, we are currently sitting behind Brighton and Brentford, who are drawing, and Brighton have a game in hand on us. Now, Brentford have played one more, but whatever. Our game in hand on them is Chelsea in the week. That's probably a draw. So, you know, you look at the rest after this. If, if we can draw with Chelsea and beat Arsenal, that's four points. But, I mean... How many are you really confident of us getting from the last nine? I'm not confident we'll go to Leeds and win. I'm not confident we'll go to West Ham and win or Leicester and win or even Southampton on the final day. I'm not confident we win any of those away games. I've got some confidence we can win maybe four of the last five at home, but that's not going to do it. That's not going to get us in the top four. If we get three draws away and lose one and potentially win four and, and draw one at home. What's that? 13, 16 points plus the four from the next two games. That would get us to 62 points for the season, which means that Spurs would only need to take 14 points from their last 10 games, which means that Newcastle would only need to take 16 points from 12 games which means that Brighton would only need to take 19 points from 12 games. And these are teams playing better than us. Teams that will do that. They're going to take more points. I don't see us getting top four this season. And if that means that we're going to hear excuses in the summer of, oh, well, you know, we thought we were going to get Jude, but then we didn't get Champions League, so the money's not there, then every single person involved can get the fuck. Because... Not getting top four has been a spur for clubs 
to spend money. Manchester United didn't get top four. What they do? Went and spent 200 million. Arsenal didn't get top four for a bunch of years. They spent 300 million more than us. 300 million more than us since we won the European Cup. That's why we're in the mess we're in. Because of cutting corners, because of doing half measures, kicking the can down the road, and too much fucking loyalty to players that don't deserve it. And you've got the man- what have you done for me lately game? It's not what did you do three or four years ago. That's not this game anymore. So massive changes are needed. And it may well be that the biggest one needed is right at the top. Uh, two-footed pod every day and you'll also daily be doing every day, be daily rest and you'll be doing scouted as well. None of them, none of them are going to be enjoyable listeners this week. <laughs> this has fucked me off for the week because it's my birthday next weekend, so I'm going to be in foul humour for that. We play <laughs> Chelsea in the week, so that has a real, because I, I hate Chelsea. Like, I dislike City, I dislike United. I absolutely despise Chelsea. If they beat us, I think my <laughs> missus might move out and take the dogs with her and then just not come back because I am going to be in the horrors all through next weekend. I'm not doing the Arsenal game because I'm already going to be in foul enough humour. So <laughs> I, I, this is going to be a, the next two weeks. Unless we wallop Arsenal, don't even come near me. <laughs> Mo, to take us home, like, it's interesting that Dave went there at the end, you know, uh, with a, a sort of crosshairs over, over Jurgen again, because it, it's hard not to. And he's out there in his post-match presser and obviously it's a difficult ask. But he's saying things like City could do what they wanted. The spaces were too big. I have no clue why we didn't challenge. It's really difficult to understand. And, you know, you take a quote out of context like that, you can, it, it can be a bit unfair, but we've heard these expressions of, 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 of confusion and, and lack of, lack of understanding why the reality is the way it is from the manager a lot. And so if you wouldn't mind in your final sum up, just to maybe touch on that and also, what you think is realistic given the context of uh, the 11 games that remain. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the remaining games, um, I mean, there's clearly still a very slight glimmer of hope of making the top four, but it's really hanging by a thread now. And realistically, I, I, I just can't see it. I think if we were looking like a team that could put a bit of a run of form together, it's okay, maybe there's an outside chance, but no, I, I just don't see it happening. I mean, Spurs in themselves have been, a, you know, pretty poor. Obviously, under Conte, before he um, was given the chop in the last week or so, and even a couple of the teams above us, you know, are certainly prone to, you know, falling by the wayside as we go into the closing stretch of this season. But yeah, I, I think one of those three or four teams above us will have enough about them to make that final spot in the top four. We'll miss out. Europa League spot at best. Uh, if, is that going to be good for us for next season? Probably not. But, you know, if you were to ask the finance people, they'd probably say rather that than the Europa Conference League or whatever it's called or missing out in Europe altogether. So, yeah, it, it's certainly not looking like a fun end to this season. And, you know, you know we have been accustomed to, you know, really engaging ends to the, the seasons you know we've been in to the closing 
stretches of the you know Champions League. You know, we've gone down to the wire a number of times with the Premier League, so we've always had something to look forward to at this time of the year. So it's a bit of a strange feeling now, you know, where it seems like there's really nothing much to play for. But yeah, the point that Dave made is absolutely spot on about you know the close season, which is that major changes are needed. I'm not convinced at all that major changes will be made. And I think there's two reasons for that. There's the manager and then there's the owners. And that is where, you know, I almost sometimes think, right, sometimes on Twitter I put out these big threads about, you know, we're doing really good at generating money from this or money from that. But, well, all it really seems to do is go towards a wage bill and maybe one big signing every two, three years. But we need more than that. You know, we see that all the time. Um, you know, we look at our rivals who invest heavily. And the difference here is that our owners treat Liverpool Football Club like a business. Other owners treat their clubs like football clubs. And there's a distinction. There's a difference. Um, normal rules of business don't apply to football clubs. And, you know, that is where, you know, the owners giving this interview to the Echo a couple of weeks ago gave me massive causes for concern. A, the fact that they're looking to stay, and I felt the time was for them to go. But B, they gave no indications whatsoever that they are looking to do anything different to try and turn things around in terms of investing things or bringing money in in a different way. I'm not convinced that there'll be a minority stake being sold, even though obviously there are fans that are hoping for that. Even if that does happen, there's no guarantees that the money that is generated from that will be plowed back into the club. And I'll just close on this. Um, one of my favourite movies is is Heat, and we all remember that classic scene where De Niro and Pacino are in in that cafe, and De Niro says to Pacino, um, "Don't let yourself get attached to anything you are not willing to walk out in thirty seconds flat." If you feel the heat around the corner, and obviously De Niro delivered that line in a way, way, way better uh, way than I could ever do, but you get the point. I feel the same way about pretty much everyone at the club. I love the players and the manager, but I'm not so invested into them that I couldn't get to a point where I feel that the time has come for them to move on. And I'm starting to ask questions about clock in a way um, perhaps some Arsenal fans were in the latter days of Wenger and obviously we, we don't want to be asking those types of questions to to each other or asking those questions to ourselves um, for managers delivered so much for us but like I kind of touched on earlier I'm, I'm looking for some signs some some indications that you know the manager has something lined up beyond just bringing in a Jude Bellingham that can turn things around. And I'm really seeing nothing. I'm really not on the tactical front, the loyalty to players that clearly need to go, um, or even any kind of links to other players that I think could turn us around. Yeah, sure, Jude coming in would be a great boost, but we need a lot more than that. I, th I think we need um, seven, eight, nine players. And I don't think we're even going to manage more than th a third of that. I think three four at absolute best and that won't really go far enough and then we're going to go into a similar situation next season where once again we'll see more discontent more frustration 
and then the whole simmering thing against the manager will grow and we'll see more division amongst fans. And I don't want to see that. You know, I want this manager to admit that, okay, maybe I have made mistakes. Maybe I've been listening to wrong people, learning from those mistakes. This season, we've shown very little learning. We are seeing the same mistakes over and over and over again. And that is what worries me going into next season. So, Again, sorry if if you were hoping for some positivity from me listening to this. I've I've delivered none of it, but I thought I'd rather be real uh, and tell it as it is, in my view, in my opinion, than give some false positivity, because I don't think there is anything to really be positive about. Sorry. 97 minutes of a raw. Don't say we don't put in the effort for you far more than we're seeing in the field from Liverpool and perhaps even from the sideline where the manager has recently just said, according to Dave in the chat here, that um, four, the four best performances were Ali, obviously, but also he included Henderson, Fabinho and Cody Gakpo. Okay, we will wrap it up at that. Like I say, it's going to be a 98 minute raw. You heard very, very honest opinions and considered opinions and very, very insightful stuff from Mo Chaltra and Dave Hendrick. I've been Trev Downey. Unfortunately, we'll see you again very soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.